Good morning on this lovely sunny day and welcome to The Home Show with me, Sinead Ryan. Coming up today, we'll be getting some tips with a sleep expert on how to get a good night's rest during the heatwave and which side of the bed is best. We'll be talking about the architectural history of UCC and discussing the dangers of underinsuring homes and former Home of the Year winner Jennifer Sheehan will be here to talk about seaside decor. If you'd like to get involved in the show today, you can text us here at The Home Show at 53106 for 30 cent. You can email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com and you'll find me over on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100. And remember, you can listen live or listen back to the show and all of our shows and podcasts on the News Talk app, which is powered by Go Loud. Now, aren't we all enjoying the bit of glorious weather this week. I'm nearly afraid to mention it in case it prompts an immediate thunderstorm and lashing rain. We've only a day or two left of it, we're told. Uh, So while we try and find ways to cool down, going to the beach if we can, and more on that later in the show, or drinking plenty of water and all the safety stuff we're told to do, it can be particularly hard at night uh, to sleep when it is hot. So kicking the duvet on and off can wake you up. Well, it wakes me up. uh, And keeping the windows open may not offer too much respite if it's a bit noisy and you're on a busy road. So I'm delighted to be getting some tips now from an expert on how to keep cool while sleeping. She'll have some intriguing information about what being a left or right sleeper means. In the meantime, I'd love to get your suggestions for cooler nights. Uh, you can get them into me here at 53106 or email us at com. We've lots of stuff coming up over the next hour. So whether you're out walking the dog or on the sidelines of a match or simply tucked up in bed with a coffee and why not? You're very welcome along to The Home Show. Now, so let's get straight into that topic because I know it is one, speaking from personal experience, it can be very, very difficult getting a decent night's kip uh, when it is so warm. So we've enlisted sleep expert Anne-Marie Boyhan, who's joining me in studio now to give us her top tips. You're very welcome to the studio, Anne-Marie. Thank you, Sinead. Thank you for having me. Now, um, when it comes to the cools and the beds and all that, we are told time and time again to have like proper cottons, breathable cottons that are high thread count. In other words, the really luxurious, expensive kind. So talk to me a little bit about how important that is. Yes, it's basically about the moisture and how you're going to react with the sheets. Um, So what's best is cotton, as you say, the really high thread count. Um, Organic cotton, if you can, but also bamboo is really good. Um, which bamboo. is bamboo. Yes, it's a it's a right. it's a fabric. Yeah, and it's really good for moisture and keeping you basically uh, dry um, okay. during the night. Um, that's another one. Um, but I would go for your your cotton or your organic cotton, and then believe it or not, wool wool pillows. Um, wool is very good at for heat. Great. Yeah, and. Um, yeah. I, I would have thought, like, I suppose I get it because they're natural fibres, you know, and silk, we hear that's good for the old wrinkles. It's brilliant, <laughs> yeah. yeah. A silk pillowcase is, is the ultimate luxury, but it yeah. is great for your skin yeah. and your hair. Right, OK. So it's the natural fibres. So even wool, which we associate with dark, wintry nights to keep you warm, can work in the opposite way. If for a pillow, certainly, yes. Yeah. Um, and there is an Irish company called Willow, made in Galway, that do wool pillows. Um but and they're yeah. not scratchy now or anything. No, like that. it's okay. it's it's what's inside the 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 pillowcase. Oh, I see. Okay, yes. okay. So, yeah. see. Oh, okay. Yeah, How but for sheets, yeah, definitely. Um, and another thing is when it's when it's hot, 
um, you know, people are saying, you know, should I sleep in the nude or, you know, what should I wear mm. to bed? So again, your your nighty or your shorts or whatever you wear to bed, again, go for the natural fibres, so your cotton. Um, anything polyester, you're going to be sweating. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, and we're done with the old nylon sheets and the polyester, yeah. aren't we? Um, so cotton, but would you recommend, Anne-Marie, because I'm a big advocate of, of wearing something in bed that is breathable rather than nothing at all because it's all a bit icky, is it? <laughs> Sorry, it depends folks, I know it's on early the person. in the morning, but you're, you know, <laughs> some of our listeners would be in bed going, am I wearing the wrong thing? It does depend on the person. Obviously, silk is very nice. It's very luxurious as well. Um, but, you know, cotton, um, like, I, I, I prefer to wear something in bed. Yeah. But if you are going to go nude, um, do have at least one sheet. So um, the, the idea behind having a sheet is that it does help with moisture. So that's so a sheet over you? A sheet over okay, you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it's not throw off the duvet and all the bedclothes, at least have one sheet because that'll help with the moisture during the night because when you get hot and icky, um, if you have the sheet, that's going to help. Okay, good tip there. Right, and folks, get in your tips to us. Let us know um, what works for you in, in keeping you uh, asleep when you go to sleep. Uh, now, other things that can help. There's a suggestion that the lower down you are, the nearer the floor you are, the cooler it is. Yes, that's certainly true. And the Japanese are very good at this. They have, I don't know, do you know the Japanese futon? Um, it's it's basically a futon that's near the floor and that's how they sleep. Just you a mattress know, on wooden it's slats, based, really. Exactly. Um, and they don't really have side tables. It's just, a, a, you know, everything is kind of on the floor. Yeah. So, yeah, the nearer the ground you are, the cooler you are. Because heat rises, doesn't it? Exactly. So, w- would that be then the case that if you're really suffering and it's very, very difficult for you to sleep, that sleeping downstairs might even be a better idea? Yes, or even if it's possible. I know some people in in the heat of it all... Um, put their mattress on the floor. Okay. Yeah, all I know right, it may, okay. may not be possible. You know, mattresses yeah, are quite yeah. cumbersome. But, you know, that could be a last resort. But there are other things you can do as well, you know, when 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 it's hot. Now, windows, open or closed? Windows closed during the day. Oh, controversial. Yes. Uh, yes, but it's it's actually true. And even Joanna Donnelly from Met Erin was saying it um, during the week because we're going through a heat wave. Her biggest tip is close the windows during the day. So the idea behind this is to keep the hot air out during the day. So when you're about to go to bed, then open them so it's cooler at night. Ah, So let's say it's 10 or 11 or whenever you're going to bed. Um, So it's cooler. So it's fine to open it then and get, get the room cool then if you have a fan, whatever you have. But during the day, it's all about keeping the hot air out, keeping your room dark, your windows, Mm. um, your windows closed, your curtains closed. And look, we only have to look to the continent. When you're on holidays in Spain or Italy or Portugal, routinely you see households doing that. They have the shutters closed and the curtains closed during the daytime to stop the sun getting in. Um, So it's good to take tips from that. And the Italians, you know, even someone was telling me um, they were on holiday in a villa in Italy and they had the big wooden shutters mm. and um, people came in and, and closed them during the day and they were like but the house is so dark and they're like no no we have to keep the heat out ah, yeah see we're Irish we do holidays differently yeah <laughs> bit of sun we want it streaming in all over us they're the professionals they've been dealing with heat a lot longer than we have I'm speaking with Henry Boyan who's a holistic sleep expert um, so talk to me then about uh, what temperature a bedroom should be what's ideal what's what's our body comfortable with? 
Yeah, so the ideal temperature um, for your bedroom is about 18.3 degrees, mm. give or take, you know, a couple. Um, so you're okay up to about 20 degrees um, or, you know, a little bit below 18, but around 18 is ideal. And when we go, when the bedroom temperature goes above that, so when we're in the heat wave, that's where we struggle to sleep. So what happens is then with our bodies, naturally we produce melatonin in the evening when it's dark and that's our body signal to go go to sleep. It's a hormone that's produced. But when we heat up and our, our bedroom is warm, it interrupts that signal to the melatonin. So that's why you might struggle to get to sleep. So there's a few things you can do if you are feeling hot and bothered. Um, it's about getting your temperature down. So obviously, if you can get the room temperature down, if you have um, some way of measuring that, great. Keep it around 18 or 20 max. Um, and then it's about you. So you need to lower your body temperature naturally. So that can be um, having a cool shower before you go to bed. Um, if your feet are swelling or hot, you could just have a really ice cold shower up to your knees or have a foot bath, you know, like a basin mm. of water with mm. ice cold. It's the extremities really, the the back of the neck and the hands and the feet. Yeah, isn't and even a, a hand towel or a face cloth, um, getting it in really cold water and, you know, like mopping your head. Um, and then, um, yeah, it really is just about get, getting your, your body cool, you know, and okay. you can do those things. I've even heard of a hot water bottle filled with cold water. Oh, right. Well, there's an easy one. All right. OK, well, look, I hope um, I, I don't want to say I hope it ends soon because I really, really don't. Uh, and we, we want the bit of heat, but it can be it can be difficult, especially maybe for older people who can't regulate their body temperature as easy as. And, and of course, pets find pets. it very difficult to regulate temperature. Yeah. All right. Lots of water. Yeah. Now, one of the other things that I was intrigued by uh, was really about because when you have somebody else in the bed with you, um, it, it doesn't make it any easier sometimes when it's heat because now you've got body heat, you know, added to your own. Uh, but does it make a difference kind of where you sleep and how you sleep in, in terms of position? What, what does that tell us about ourselves? Well, there was a survey done recently in the UK um, and it said that people on the right hand who sleep on the right hand side of the bed have a worse sleep. Um, and people that sleep on the left hand side of the bed go out like a light. Um, right. Now, this is a survey, so it is really, you know, it's a 1,500 people. Um, I know um, I sleep on the right and I have no problem sleeping. But uh, this is, you know, the results of a survey and it was heavily the oh. people on the right. So so they weren't sleeping so this well. Is, this is as you're facing the bed, is it? Like, no, it's what side of the bed you oh, sleep when on. When you're in it. Yeah. Oh, I'm right. Yeah, I'm right as well. Okay. My husband is left. And yeah. it, he does, he really does fall asleep very easily. Yeah. Um, mm. So, yeah, so us righties. Maybe that's it. <laughs> oh, but listen, but you couldn't be changing. I mean, if you've slept on one side of the bed for the whole of your life, you wouldn't sleep at all on the other side. I yeah. wouldn't anyway. And do, do you know when you go to a, a, another place, let's say a hotel or something? Oh, yeah, no, it's exactly house, the same. And you go, no, to, you go to the same side. Oh, you'd be horrified if I suddenly hopped over. I wouldn't be able to cope. Yeah, we're creatures of habit, really. Right. OK, so so that's interesting. So it tells us that depending on the side of the bed, that that really determines your sleep pattern. Yes, how easily you can fall asleep. And the survey also said that people that sleep on the right hand side are generally less likely to look on the bright side of life. Now, I don't agree with that either. I, I'm a very positive person. I'm not okay. sure about yourself. I am. Well, I, I, think think I like to think I am. Yeah. But it's not because I'm not getting a good so, night's sleep. <laughs> 
So yeah, us right versus left. But yeah, don't change us. Don't change us. No, absolutely not. All right. Now, napping. Are you a fan of napping during the hot afternoons or not? Definitely. I'm all for naps. And especially with, you know, with the heat. Um, And again, we're going back to our continental neighbours. You know, it's so hot there that what they do is they stay indoors between 2 and 5 p.m. or 2 siesta. Yes, exactly. So it's so hot. And I found myself doing that on my holidays as well. It was just too hot to be outside. So definitely. And NASA, they recommend a nap no longer than 26 minutes. That's specific. Yeah, so basically okay. if you have a really long nap, I don't know if you know when when you have like let's say over an hour or longer, you wake up groggy, mm. it basically eats into your sleep drive. So your sleep drive is is you know going to affect when you go to sleep at night. So so the naps keep them short, you know, half an hour, 20 mm. 26 minutes. Um, you know, I wouldn't be sleeping for longer than 40 minutes. You're not minutes. getting into your deep REM sleep at that stage. It's go- it's okay. going to so the longer you sleep you get into your deep sleep yeah. and it'll affect your sleep that night. Okay. 26 minutes. Right, so 26 minutes uh, in a cool sheet on the proper side of the bed and all your problems are solved. All right. And Reboyne, where can people find out more about you? At uh, thesleepcarecompany.com. All right. Okay. And thanks a million for joining us today on The Home Show with all those tips now. But we still want, we want to keep the weather for a little bit longer. Yes, don't we? please. All right. Okay. Now, still to come on The Home Show, we'll be exploring the darker history of UCC's architecture with Emma Gleese, uh, who'll be with us in a few minutes. Back after this. Now, today is Cork Heritage Open Day and 30 Plus, buildings open their doors for the public to explore. But one place you mightn't think of as a civic amenity uh, for a walk and a look around is UCC, University College. Cork architectural historian Emma Galise joins me again on the home show to enlighten us about this particular beautiful university's bricks and mortar history. Emma, you're very welcome back to the home show. Oh, thanks, Shalise. Now, of course, it's it, it started life not as UCC, but as Queen's College, uh, Cork. And of course, this would have been the Queen involved was Queen Victoria. So that gives us a hint as to dating its origins. Yes. So, uh, like I said, it was part of the three uh, Queen's Colleges in Ireland founded in 1845. So we had Belfast, which is still Queen's College, Galway, and then Cork was selected as kind of the head of the Munster region because it was the centre of uh, transatlantic trade so it made sense at the time. Now when it started um, life it was really with a view of course uh, university education in those days the 1840s was extremely elitist and uh, probably only a handful of students and all men. Yes that's it. Um, So again similar to when I was on the show talking about Trinity it was for well-to-do students who could afford to send their sons there as uh, female students weren't omitted until uh, 1855. So, very, like you said, it's very elitist. And then the, the architecture reflects that uh, these were our brightest uh, young people, so they were going to have very grand surroundings, so very uh, neo-Gothic, Victoria buildings reflecting the, the English counterparts with this very, uh, this very grand, heavy stone architecture to 
reinforce that you're part of the establishment and you're at this very important institution. Indeed, and of course the Victorian period, beautiful period for architecture, you know, very imposing and regal and, you know, a lovely use of stone and all of that. So let's go through some of the key pieces then, because of course, like all universities, Emma, this is like a mishmash of old and very new. Uh, And it's always interesting to me the way architects try and kind of mash that together in a very, very meaningful way. Now, the Honan Chapel is probably one of the first things, you know, that people notice about it and see in there. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, it's a gorgeous chapel. And again, it's it's in keeping with the whole look of the, the, the original part of the college. So again, in limestone stone, uh, built a little later than people realise in 1916. Uh, so it's in this uh, arts and crafts uh, stone model. It's it's kind of template would have been, you know, like Cormac's Chapel of the Rock of Cashel, and um, as, as well as being beautiful to look at the outside, uh, people should be reminded also go inside. It, it boasts um, 17 stained glass windows by a very fa- uh, famous uh, stained glass artist, Harry Clark, mm. uh, with, with a, uh, eight of them designed by the studio Sarah Purser. So it's it's nearly like a, a, an art gallery. It's so beautiful on the inside as well as the outside. It is. Those windows, I've seen them there. Absolutely stunning. I mean, it's worth going down there just to have a look at that art. Um, and, and of course, Harry Clark uh, it, it was responsible for many of them. Now, and there's a beautiful uh, tiled floor, like a mosaic floor. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so again, uh, the the floor is also again a beautiful thing to go in and, and just as well as gazing up the windows, do look down the floor and take in every every bit of the building. And because it, and some people forget to go inside, that the, as much thought was put uh, inside as uh, as the impression it makes when you arrive at the building. Now, there was a little bit of intrigue and mystery uh, when there was a big fire. So we're going back to nearly its origins, 1862. What happened, Emma? Yes, so uh, when we all think of UCC, we all think of the main quad, as they call it. So that's the, it, it's nearly a full square. So the three-sided building and then at the east wing, uh, is the the all a maxima? So across from that, the West Wing, there was a big fire on the fifteenth of May in eighteen sixty two. Now this is a really interesting story. So that that destroyed the building, and there was all these conspiracies going around, going um, who started this fire because the president was uh, convinced that it was a, a maliciously started fire. So rumours had it that his steward William Williams started it, but they they never had enough evidence to put it towards him. And they even offered a reward of £150, which would have been so much money back in 1862. So while they never solved that mystery, that offer, I read, is still being, uh, that reward is still being offered. So I don't know if any of your <laughs> listeners are into cold case murder mis- uh, murders and, and fire mysteries. Uh, why don't you have a go and try the crack it. Right, okay, so £150 <laughs> out there uh, still waiting to be collected if you can solve uh, the mystery of the 1862 fire. All right. Now, of course, um, in one of the reimaginings and rebuildings and all that, of course, we had our own uh, social and political history that happened alongside all of this. Uh, so the Queen Victoria statue that had originally been there, of course, because this was a Queen's College, was replaced. Uh, what was it replaced with? So, yeah, so this is, there was this beautiful um, limestone carving um, of Queen Victoria, and that was donated by the architects um, of the of the quad, um, Dean and Woodward, which, again, they were the guys that did the museum building at Trinity, and they also did the, the Natural History Museum in Oxford. So um, he was bestowing this gift to the college 
And so she was standing there from 1849 when the college officially opened. And in in 1934, uh, the very Republican uh, college president, Alfred O'Reilly, uh, he decided to take this down um, because his residence would have been um, through the doorway that she sat upon. And he obviously, he, he was getting a bit annoyed by this. And at and a little side note, he himself, because of his Republican background, he was uh, incarcerated at... Uh, uh, at her, her Majesty's expense a couple of times, so I think that got to him. And so he was one of the early earliest people in Ireland uh, to remove the Queen's statue. Because recently, um, papers have been looking back at um, the Queen Victoria t- statue was in front of the doll, and that was taken away in 1948. Mm. Um, Dublin uh, City Council had a statue of King George the Third, and that was taken away in the early 40s. So uh, Cork. Uh, true to his form, very Republican. Uh, they took away that statue and a few years later they replaced it with um, St. Finbar's uh, statue carved by by Seamus uh, Murphy, I think. And so that statue was put into storage in, a, in an office on the first floor. Um, it was three quarters of a ton, so it was very heavy mm. and it was it, it was jeopardising the structural integrity of the floor. So bizarrely, they took the statue and they buried it on the grounds. Now, they did bury it in the President's Garden, so she got the nicest site. But it was just bizarre why they buried her. And she lay there until um, 1994 when the college was was, uh, celebrating the 150th year and they cleaned her up and they put her on display and her her whatever number of great granddaughter, uh, Queen Elizabeth II, saw her when she visited uh, the college in 2011 and Prince Charles uh, a few years later. Right. Well, I hope they cleaned her up properly before they they allowed that happen. So, well, that's fascinating. So that's kind of come full circle then. It's okay to show her again, but we're not showcasing, you know, the British Queen. All right. Now, uh, I mentioned at the beginning, there's always this mishmash in universities between old and new. And one of the buildings, which I, I... I don't know, it, it's kind of a Marmite thing, I suppose, is the Lewis Glucksman Gallery. Now, this is the American philanthropist who I presume paid for it or paid for some of it and therefore it's called after him. This was opened in uh, 2004. Uh, t- tell us a little bit about how that fits into this Victorian uh, footprint. Yeah, so part of the brief for the, the, the world-renowned uh, award-winning architects of Donald and Toomey who got the commission was... Um, to have, have a very small footprint, not to disturb all the trees. So it's set beautifully uh, amongst these well-established trees. Um, so it's spread over three floors. And again, like I mentioned, the other buildings, the beauty is going inside. And when you're walking around, it's one of my, one of my favourite buildings to visit. Um, you really do feel you're in the treetops. Uh, and it's a very solid building um, made of concrete, but they've cladded it with timber, which is really softened and these beautiful curves. And they've somehow made this heavy building feels so light um, and it's on stilts. So again, it, it feels like it's floating over the river in the treetops. And it, so again, it, it kind of finishes off the whole story of the campus, you know, being a very uh, Victorian institution, part of the establishment. And then it goes through um, this very Republican phase and, you know, questioning um, any uh, kind of colonial um hangover but it's, it's the college has come to maturity and it's able to um, uh, keep a hold of that heritage and be very proud of it while also commissioning um, the best of our architects that have gone over now and um, and um, designed um, university buildings mm. in the in mm. England so um, like the LSE 
building. So I think it, it's come full circle and um, Cork is a fantastic, uh, UCC is a fantastic college and it's it's now um, commissioning the best of the best, which are Irish and um, it's, it's 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 yeah it's full circle of of that story in the campus of Ireland. Indeed. Now, um, Cork people, of course, aren't uh, behind the door at coming out and telling us how how great everything is in Cork, <laughs> and and they're absolutely right, of course. But if you look at any guidebook or tourist guide to Dublin, top of the list or near top of the list will be go visit Trinity College. You've got the Book of Kells, you've got the Quadrangle, you've got all this kind of stuff. Like it, it's really known as the number one or number two amenity in the capital city. Do you think that people appreciate a university college, Cork, as a civic amenity? I mean, somewhere to actually go as a tourist to have a look around. No, it's funny. Um, I think people have this idea of, oh, I'm not a student, I shouldn't walk around. But, yeah, you know, it's yeah, a civic community. Like they would love everyone, especially today during the the, the Heritage Day, to come and look around the campus. Like you mentioned Trinity there, um, the, the museum building designed by Dean and Woodward, they use Cork, Carverus, James and John O'Shea. And they also did the main quad. So you can stand there and go, God, the same guys that were commissioned and the same architects for Trinity and Oxford they did this building mm. like we're on we're on a par if if not um surpassing it because it's, it's such a fantastic building to stand in the middle of that quad and you know they didn't close it off they left the south side there and some people say it's better for it it's letting in the light and it's giving you full vantage point of the building so i i think it's just a, a small mindset and people should be while they're down in cork i do it myself i forget that ucc is there and i should have a walk around mm. And 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 see the new and the old that's there. Yeah, and it's 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 perfectly fine to do that. You don't need to be a student. You don't need a special pass. You can just go in and wander and look at all of that architecture and beauty. Now today, Emma is Cork Heritage Open Day, so that's organised by Cork City Council and uh, marks the start of Heritage Week in Cork City. Now that's running from today right through uh, till next uh, Sunday week. So um, where can people find out more a little bit about what's on and plan around some of those events? Uh, yeah, if you go to, so it's being run by the, the Heritage Office in the University of Toomey uh, of our Cork City Council. So if you go to their website, you'll see all those buildings that are going on. And um, if you go to my, my Twitter account, I'll also put links to um, any of the buildings they have there. So if you go to Achilles, uh uh, at G-I-L-L-E-C-E and I'll put links to the buildings that we mentioned today on the show as Wonderful. well. Wonderful. All right. And what better day in the blistering sunshine and beautiful weather to go and have a look around one of Ireland's most beautiful buildings. Emma Galise, architectural historian, thank you so much for joining us on The Home Show to talk about this wonderful architectural jewel. Thanks, William. Now, maybe a necessary evil, but house insurance is an expensive bill every single year. And it seems like most insurance policies costs are only going one way. But my next guest says that underinsuring to try and keep premiums down is something to avoid because it can cause huge problems for homeowners in the event of a claim. Jonathan Hare, MD of insuremyhouse.ie. Welcome along to the show, Jonathan. Good morning, Sinead. Now, there's two elements here I really want to talk to you about. The first is underinsuring at the moment due to, well, it could cause a problem because of the inflation in the house construction sector. I mean, it's even higher than everything else we see inflation on, um, you know, cement and, and glass and wood and all of this stuff. What's the impact 
if you need repairs or, or if your home is damaged and, and you're, you know, pulling in the insurance to cover it? Okay, so sometimes we take these and we look at the worst case scenario. So somebody who maybe put a rebuild cost on their house five years ago and hasn't reviewed it, and maybe at the time there was a, you know, a correct rebuild price was €200,000. Uh, you know, in a total loss case there where the house burns down, it's most likely that the rebuild cost of that house today is closer to 300000 than it is 200000 So the people will have a huge shortfall in the cover that they have and they'll struggle to pay to rebuild the house back to the way it was prior to having the, having the incident. And that's a worst-case scenario. Mm. Um, but we do see it in other policies where you know, insurers will you know, have a punitive clause. It's called the average clause, where uh, people who are seen to be underinsuring a property, even if you have a smaller claim, it will affect the, 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 the value of the, of the payment that you get. Okay, so so give me an example of that. So if you've un, if you've insured your house for two hundred thousand and you should have insured it for three hundred thousand, and most people would think, look, the chance of a house burning down completely are very very rare. But if you've got a claim for a, a burst pipe or roof tiles or something, are you saying that the insurer then adjusts all claims down because you have underinsured the big stuff? Now, not all insurers have an average clause, so it's very important for people to check to see if there is an average clause. But I would be, before checking if you have an average clause included, make sure you have the right sums insured in the first place. But, uh, you know, if you are underinsuring by 20, 30 percent, there is a very good chance that the claim you have. So if you have a kitchen fire for 20 grand, that it will be reduced down by that 20, 30 percent at the time that you go to make a claim. And, and that means you're stuffed, like you, you're liable for the rest of that then, are you? Well, you're just not going to get your kitchen back to the way you, you wanted it put back in the first place if you do have that kitchen fire. So um, it's a really important thing for people to check to see if it's included in that property. But right. I, I, people in insurance companies would always say, look, check to see if you have an average clause. But okay. the average clause won't affect you if you have your sums insured correctly. Yeah, so yeah. So that that's, a, that's okay. That's the best thing to do rather than rely on the tiny small print in your insurance it, policy. It, Exactly, one hundred percent is, and you know, a lot of people don't reevaluate their sums insured. Um, you know, no, not many people would do it in the middle of the year. No one's going to sit down today and say, "I must check my sums insured." Um, but really, when it comes due for renewal, um, rather than just paying for your renewal, there's two things you should do for home insurance. One, check the sums insured. Make sure that you're happy that the amount that you have in there is the correct amount for rebuilding, and also for your content. You know, okay, um, to make sure you know that you're. And again, go to the worst case scenario. Imagine that the worst thing is going to happen and that there's a total loss. And then picture how much would it cost to rebuild it. Um, the chartered surveyors have a really good website that is um, will give you a rebuild cost guide by county. So it's a really good one. So yeah, that's the SESI, isn't it? It is, and it's yeah. really good. So okay. it's, and it's you know it's very straightforward. You can just sort of you, you can judge the size of your house, and it'll give you a typical rebuild cost. Okay. So we're not looking for people to get down to the you know sort of the exact rebuild cost. It just has to be there thereabouts. Under insurance is where somebody you know has a, a house that would cost four hundred thousand to rebuild, mm. and they're insuring it for mm. two hundred thousand to save money. Okay. But the best way to save money in your home insurance is to shop around. It's it, it, you will save money if you get a renewal price in and you shop around. Put the correct sums insured on it and shop around based on the new sums insured. And you may find that you'll get a lower price for the higher sums insured than you're actually getting on your renewal. Wow, okay. So that's but, worth a few phone calls. And what kind of things then, Jonathan, finally, do insurance, company, insurance companies give discounts on? I mean, is it is it having a, an alarm, having a dog in the house? Are there simple ways that you can cut your premium? 
Well, if you haven't, you know, the, the people who you're speaking to, and I always say to people, go to a broker because brokers will have access to 15 plus home insurance products and they will ask you all the questions. So if one insurer gives a discount because of your age, but another doesn't, they'll ask you that question knowing that one of the 14 is going to give a discount mm. based on your age. Alarm discounts do count, um, smoke detector discounts. But generally it's down to sort of the area that someone's insured and finding the right insurer that's, that's for you. So what's good for one insurance company may be bad for another and vice versa. We did a survey on home insurance prices not too long ago. And just to give you a very quick example, Dublin 9, the worst insurance price was 585 and the best was 285 For in the Galway, same house? Same house with two different insurers. Oh, okay. We had one in Galway for 668 and the best was 377 Half, now, half price? Yeah, it, it is. But that was us just running it through a system and picking the, 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 the worst renewal premium and then putting the best in your business premium against it. So it was half price in both those scenarios. And that's not uncommon. So the best way for you to save money on this is to find the correct insurer for you, your house, the insurer that likes your area, Mm -hmm. likes your profile, likes the type of house, likes the sums insured, and the easiest way to do that is to go to a broker and with access to 15 products. Indeed. And well, I often felt when I was working in this industry and I spent the best part of two decades there that underwriters really are a bit like bookies. Do you know, they're just trading off types of houses, types of cars, types of, you know, where people live, who they are against the other, you know, the worst bets and the best bets. And, and really, that's all they're doing. So you're, you're not going to know who has the best price or who has the worst price, um, you no. know, just off the top of your head, are you? No, you're not, because one insurance company may have had four large water damage uh, claims in your particular area and think, oh, I don't like this area, where another insurer, like, you know, with an office three miles up the road, has never had a claim in your area and loves it. So, you know, you're right. There's, there's underwriters in offices who are saying, I, I don't particularly like Dublin, where there's somebody else in another office going, I love Dublin. But you're never yeah. going to know the, yeah. the answer to that. Um, right. And Again, you know, shopping around is the only way to find okay. out which one suits you best. Okay, and good. It, because just because somebody was good for you last year does not mean they're going to be good for you this year. Yeah, no, so lo- it, no loyalty in this market. That's for sure. All right, Jonathan, enough. Jonathan Hare, insuremyhouse.ie. Thanks a million for bringing us Thanks, uh, those tips. All right, and as always, you can get your questions into us and your suggestions. Email them here at thehomeshownewstalk.com. Text us at five three one zero six, and we'll see you back here in a few moments. And you are very welcome back to the home show here on News Talk. I'm Sinead Ryan. Uh, now, at the top of the show, we were talking about uh, sleep and sleeping and all that. And I'm going to be asking Jennifer Sheehan for her tips uh, while she's in with us. You're very welcome to studio. Nice Looking to be here. summery. Melting. And why not? Melting know, into aren't a Aren't we all? Aren't yeah. we all? But isn't it Delighted wonderful? Aren't we? Yes, I know. So one of the things because of that that we wanted to talk about because... Hopefully, everybody got the opportunity to go to the beach this summer somewhere, whether it's at home or abroad. Uh, And I am one of those people that loves picking up little shells when I'm away and then having them on a kind of little display thing. It's a bit silly. But I love it. And it's just, oh, do you remember we picked those up in Portugal? Or do you remember the holiday we did such and such? We found this shell. Uh, So we thought we'd talk to you about maybe things that you could do rather than just stick them on a shelf and look at them. Uh, about uh, pebbles and sea glass and all that kind of thing. Are you a fan? Do you I'm such stuff? a fan. Yeah. I'm such a fan because it's so nice. You know, you just get a lovely little shell or you find something and it's so special and unique in the moment. Yeah. And then I bring it home and then you're right, it goes on the shelf 
and it gathers dust or, you know, it's in a drawer and then you're cleaning it out later and you're like, oh, do I keep the shell? Do I not keep the shell? And it's so nice to do something with them so you actually have the memories out there, I think. Brilliant. No, you're dead right. So give us some tips uh, on what we can do. So first of all, if you are collecting seashells, just make sure they're empty because they're home. People live in them, not oh. people, obviously, sea creatures, <laughs> mollusks and the, and the like. So just don't, you know, there could be a little tiny hermit crab in there or a little right. mollusk okay. or something. So yeah. just make sure it is empty first. So what I've seen, first of all, I want to say, if you have kids in the house, I am one of those people who want, I want to see the artwork on the fridge. I want shells stuck on everything, lollipops everywhere. I just love that. So, you know, let's not get too kind of precious about this. But there are some really nice things you can do if you don't like that look. So first of all, if you get one of those shadow box frames, you know, it's kind of deep like frames. the 3D yeah. yeah okay and then you can just glue it into any shape you want so your initials or a love heart or a little sea anchor or, or whatever maybe something cooler than that then it just makes a really nice piece of art especially if you've got some kind of you know shells that go together or even you can pop in a photograph of where you found the shells yeah into it and that's kind of yeah and it may be a description if yeah. you're interested in what kind of shell it is and where it came from and all that what I've seen recently and I couldn't love this more is a summer wreath with shells in it so maybe you know if, if you if you're somebody who likes making wreaths and if you like the Christmas ones and the Easter ones summer ones look so pretty so maybe a few bits of driftwood, driftwood from the and, sea and, and, and the wreaths are super popular now because it's not just Christmas I yeah. mean I'm passing doors every day that they're on all year round and they're yeah. changing with the season because it's a kind of a decorative piece. Yeah, and some summer flower is woven through it. But yeah, I think shells woven in through that, it just looks so, so like every I've seen it and I'm like, oh, mm. you're on holidays mm. and it looks amazing mm. and I want to go to the beach. Okay, Fab. good, excellent, right. A light pendant is my next one. So I'm really into lights. Now, light, we, you can do it lights. Are we in the kind of the, the tricky DIY end of things now? Go on, well, light okay. pendant. Here's where you can make it really easy, right? If you get a, just an old lampshade, something that, you know, something that has like fabric cover on it or something like that and just rip off the fabric and then you've got a frame and then all you need to do is maybe get some wire and tie it on. You might have to drill a hole in the shelves. You could probably glue them as well. Okay, and then and what do you do? Nice. You stick the and shells just, on? Yeah, stick, the, oh, either, stick the shells on. What would be lovely is if you have them hanging down in kind of a chandelier oh, right. shape. Okay. Maybe in a spiral even, something like that as a pendant and then you have the little lamp hanging through it. Okay. That could look gorgeous. All right. Yeah. yeah. No, I can get that. And some of those shells, because they're a little bit porous, you yeah. kind of get the light coming through rather than around. Okay. They're shimmery. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. I love picking up a, a lovely pebble or a piece of sea glass because... You know, it must have been there a very long time if they're polished and bright. Yeah. And, you know, it looks fabulous. It's lovely just to come across a piece of green or blue glass. Yeah. Um, so what what can we do with that if we find it? Uh, yeah, you're right. They're so beautiful. And if you think of the story, so glass is made from sand. So this is something that was taken from the beach at some point had a whole life as a glass bottle or, you know, a window in a ship or something like that and then was broken and then found its way back to the sea. And it takes about 30, 40, 50 years for it to go into that lovely sea glass look wow, with the smooth okay. edges and the, and the you know, the lovely gorgeous, little, oh, they're beautiful kind of frosted looking things. So anyway, loads you can do with those. Again, you can also make a lampshade. They look gorgeous. So you can just maybe put them together, stick them onto the side, for example, of a lampshade and the light coming through it will look really, mm. really, and really And it's pretty. diffused, isn't it? Because it's you, you get that kind of that colourate effect as yeah. well as the diffusion of light. And it's frosted. So I think that looks really good. I've seen lots of sea glass jewellery. 
So two things, you could drill a hole in it or you could wrap some wire around it and maybe hook it onto an earring or onto a pendant that or something like that. That might be safer actually to get the jeweller's wire and wrap yeah. it because I'm thinking if you drill a hole in it, you'd probably need very fine equipment yeah. to get and it that crack. right without breaking. I you know don't want to crack it. it. Now it's survived okay. a lot so it might not <laughs> but it could crack, it could crack. That's or a little bit of glue and just um, one of those kind of invisible uh, yeah. threads on threads, it. Fisherman yeah, threads, fisherman's thread. The last thing I love is a coaster. So if you get them into just a little, you know, arrange them in a nice circle and pour clear resin in it and let it set. Okay. I think that can look really, really good. And actually that's a great idea for the shells as well. Yeah, if you can exactly. That space. Okay, or I'm you could mix and match. Yeah. You know, you could put a few of them together. coasters generally, but if you are, <laughs> then that's one really good thing to do with it. All right. Jennifer, thank you very much for some of those tips now. And if you're going to the beach, folks, uh, do look on the ground and in the sea and on the sand for things that you can do too. Uh, Eight interior design in your house. <laughs> now, at the top of the show, uh, I was talking to Anne-Marie uh, Boyan about the whole thing of sleeping and trying to keep cool at night and all that kind of thing. Uh, and it is a bit difficult. So have you any tips that you can add to help people? Anything that has worked for you? Yeah, well, she was a gold mine. I don't know how you're sleeping. I'm not. I slept I slept outside for half the night last night. I, I know, couldn't cope. I um, good if you, ha- if you are renovating... Obviously, you need to get good insulation anyway, but it really helps in summertime too with, you know, it keeps the heat in and it mm. also keeps it out. And one thing that I I found counterintuitive, but it does help for that, is actually keeping your windows closed yeah, no, in the she, daytime. Yeah, and, and she had mentioned that, that if you can keep everything dark during the daytime and yeah. closed, then just open it at night and, and have it. So I have the curtains down, I have the windows yeah, closed, I have all that yeah. stuff. And, and she was thinking about the sheets. The sheets, I know, yeah. high thread count. But sure, we, we all love the, the nice sheets at the best of times. All yeah. right, OK. Now, you have been busy, despite the heat, out in your garden. Oh, it's controversial this one now. It was controversial controversial, because I was having a look at your Insta stories on Uh, Workers Workers Cottage Cottage, and uh, I saw your beautiful living wall. Yeah. So a living wall, folks, as everybody knows, uh, hopefully now is is where you grow um, usually in a quite small space and you grow greenery up a frame yeah. rather than on the lawn uh, and you have taken that to new heights because you had little uh, pots and boxes for mm. herbs and flowers and all that kind of thing it looked absolutely magic and you got rid of it oh yeah I killed them all yeah they all died yeah so okay first of all what I want to say is when I moved into the house I, I love the living wall so a big shout out my friend good friend Johnny Gannon did that wall for me he's available at Gannon and Associates and I highly recommend Fabulous, fabulous work. So what he did for me was he got a big plywood board and he got the felt pockets. I think he got them on Amazon. You can find them online. He got the felt pockets and he nailed them onto the board. And so I had a whole wall then basically of of pockets that you can put plants in. One thing I'll say is I found in summer, now only this summer and, and last summer when we had those heat waves, they really dried out very, very quickly. I couldn't keep on top of the watering. So I'd recommend lining maybe the ones towards the top especially with just cut up a bin bag. Yes. They really dry out. But it looked amazing for a long time. It really did. There was ivies and ferns and they really lasted and I had plants in. But ultimately, at my hands, they all perished because I just can't keep plants alive. I just can't do it. So, and, and of course it is hard now. I find I'm watering mine now twice a day yeah. because of the, of the heat and that's fine. And So what did you do, Jennifer, to, yeah. f- to fix this uh, anomaly? Yeah, so I I got rid of everything that I killed because ho- I was gone on holidays. And you I got I got artificial ones. <gasps> I got a whole bunch of artificial ones because I it looked amazing. Like the design that Johnny came up with is just fab, and I didn't want to change a thing. But I was just looking out at these draggly pants that I couldn't keep alive. So anyway, I replaced them with artificial ones, and I haven't looked back, and I'm not going to look back. 
delighted with it. It looks great. It looks great. I'm not worried about it. I'm going, you know, next time I go on holidays, I'm not going to be freaking out about killing so something. So you st- you kept the living wall and you yeah. just put up kind of what, silk, plastic? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So they have a plastic stem, but they're, I can take the, the top off and that can be recycled. I know plastic isn't great, but anyway, it's a small amount and it can be recycled and the, the foliage can kind of be taken okay. off. And that okay. Stuff. So you've kept the look of it without yeah. any of the work. The only thing I'd say is if, if you're thinking of doing it and having it for a long time, just make sure whatever you're buying is UV resistant. There's a some kind of a spray they can put on them yeah, but they'll fade especially the silk ones fading yeah. in the sunlight and then yeah. it all looks a bit shabby and yeah. all yeah. right okay some people are not going to love that some people are going to want the real plants and I totally get it I would prefer the real plants I just don't have the skills that it takes to keep them alive yeah. maybe someday I will when I have more time at home and you know I decide that green fingers are, are worth another shot okay well listen have your say on this controversial topic by, <laughs> by logging on to Jennifer's uh, at Workers College uh, Insta site and she'll show you the before which was a bit straggly and it was ragged, quite yeah. which is my fault the after which looks fabulous and tell us whether you would actually favour doing the same and getting down the, the old uh, fake <laughs> the fake flowers uh, and see how they work alright uh, Jen thanks very much uh, for that and then finally before I let you go because you're here so we're going to yes. use your expertise Ooh. we had an email in to the home show at newstalk.com from Phil in Cork and Phil says hi I'm a retired nurse uh, 70 years old living in Cork City and uh, she wanted some advice Jennifer on her bungalow mm. and whether or not the colours that she has chosen she should keep or ditch or change or whatever now uh, she sent in pictures of her uh, oh yeah house. I see it here uh, well, she sent in the air code. Phil, don't be handing out your air code. That's my first tip. <laughs> but I was able we'll to We'll be arriving down for a cup of tea, Phil. Exactly. Um, and this is actually, I thought this was terribly pretty, especially oh, at the moment. Oh, look, yeah. So it's a cute. little white cottage with um, a Portuguese blue door mm. and gate and little trim. Mm. Uh, and, and Phil says, uh, she'd love to get an opinion uh, for a drastic change to dark grey with white window frames and a yellow garage door and side gate. Um, yeah. And what is your opinion? And you, you tell me what you, you're the expert and then <sighs> I'll tell you what I think. Okay, I love it. I think it looks as great. It I love it as yeah. it is. I think it's so cheery. Phil, you've got beautiful flowers out your front garden. I think it looks absolutely stunning. I, I love grey and yellow, but I think grey is everywhere. And I think yours is a bit different and cheerful. And I definitely think probably when people are walking past, it makes them smile. I'd say you could still add in a couple of yellow accents if you wanted. So I'm seeing a bench outside your your lovely blue door garage, your Portuguese blue door garage. You could paint that yellow if you wanted those pops of yellow. I wouldn't do the grey. I love the blue. I think it's so pretty. I agree. So I'm going to oh, compare with that. Agree. Yeah. Phil, I you have done something <laughs> incredible here. Shade <laughs> and I agree. We do. And I love it. And and Phil, you said that you you do all the painting yourself. You do all the work yourself. Good so woman. I think that's a project. And I think the yellow, the idea of yellow is lovely. You don't want to mishmash of colours, but I love that blue. It's one of my favourite colours and um, it just brightens up. And I'd say people passing just, just love it. So Absolutely. Phil, hang on to it as it is give it a lick of paint if you want and uh, throw in maybe some sunflowers and a yellow bench yeah and exactly give you your yellow and if you have a question uh, for Jennifer or any of our experts who come in on the show regularly to the home show at newstalk.com text us at 53106 if you have photographs or whatever it is you'd like advice on pop them through as well and uh, we'll come up with some uh, some uh, answers for you and that is all we have time for this week on the home show on this gorgeous gorgeous uh, day uh, so thank you for 
for for listening. Thank you for staying with us. You can listen back to any of our shows on our podcast, which is on the Newstalk app, which is powered by Go Loud. Have a lovely weekend. Thanks to Maurice O'Sullivan, who is producing with Stephen McLoon and Peter Malloy was on sound. Anton Savage is up next live from Galway for the Newstalk Summer Tour. And remember, we're here every Saturday at 8am.